This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Well, we're rolling in here for a Thursday edition of the show. Yeah, okay, I had to double check. Remember, I said that yesterday. Ramia Muthan, she's at the home office, AMI main campus today joining us. I said that yesterday, that double check you do of days. There yep. it was. It's that, that thing that rears its head. How's today shaping up for you? You know, I was perfectly aware that it was Thursday, and then uh, kind of a couple minutes ago, I had to run into studio to do the show from AMI headquarters, and then it threw me off. Like, what day is it again? Oh, tomorrow's Friday. Yeah, there's... um. What's the best way to say it? A, you know, a, some kind of little uh, ex machina, you know, the demon in the machine or something like that up there. That's 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 tampering with all sorts of stuff right now. So yes. we're <laughs> we're having to adjust on the fly. So this is a roundtable type question. Do you find that makes you feel more comfortable doing the show? Like, you know, when something goes wrong, I I know when we trained the backup co-host, when we trained... <clears throat> The co the the hosts mm-hmm. <laughs> how to deal with stuff. I find it's totally the truth of the matter is when things go wrong, that's how you develop. Yeah, I mean we've had so many fun, and I describe it as fun because I was in behind the microphone for these. Uh, but you know, just scenarios running through mock situations of things going badly, or you know, just stuff not going right, and those. Um, even watching other people respond and react to those, our backup co-hosts, our fill-in co-hosts uh, specifically, um, it made it feel like, yeah, it was definite training, right? And tech troubles, nobody can really say um, more than us about how many tech troubles we face, like can face potentially regularly and how many backup uh, items and conversations and scenarios we need to play out and plan for. And, you know, when you're training people, you try not to, when you throw something at them, a curve or an issue, whether it's a tech problem or how do you deal with somebody who does this, maybe when you're doing an interview, you try not more than to kind of suggest, give advice to walk away saying, wow, man, how come it took you a while to figure that one out? Because you have to remind yourself, how long did it take you when it happened the first mm-hmm. couple of times, right? First what did you do? Years more like exactly, and how did you like look back at it later and say, oh, "I made yeah. a mess of that." Let's take a look, folks, and see what's coming up today on this edition of Kelly and Company. Now this is really cool. The Royal Winter Fair in Toronto turned 100 years old this year. Gardener Susan Kearney, she tells us all about her uh, recent visit to this indoor agricultural fair in Toronto. I'm so excited to live vicariously through her experience. The 35th edition of Wisagichuk Begins to Dance is on now through December 20th at Aki Studio. And we're going to learn more about the showcase with the interim artistic director at Native Earth, Joelle Peters. 
On Accessible Gaming during Hour 2 of the program, Debbie Williams features the Game of Thrones-themed Game of Clue. Interested to see what that's going to be like. I think you've played it, right? You were saying earlier? So fun. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see as you and Debbie um, rumble over who's better or not at the game during Hour 2, folks. Uh, stay around. Sounds like we'll have another another ma- type of game or match as they I think there is a clear winner in this game. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, folks. Uh, also, ladies and gentlemen, the Canadian War Museum, and I love this kind of stuff, folks, to talk about here, uh, has uh, actually uh, it's acquired three Victoria Crosses awarded for extreme bravery. Now, this has been, of course, uh, awarded to Canadians and valor during the First World War, including one that belonged to Private James Peter Robertson. Uh, Robertson died while rescuing a, a, a dying comrade. Um, excuse me. Robertson died while rescuing a wounded comrade, excuse me, uh, over at Pastchendale during uh, during World War One, November uh, 1917. And his great nephew, Peter Harris, is hoping that more Canadians will get to hear about his journey. And if it's just sitting in a safe deposit box, it's not doing anybody any good. So it just seemed like there was a better place. For it to be is at the War Museum, where hopefully other people can see it and appreciate it and learn his stories. For me, I mean, I love the stories. Um, I would love to see the the medals and what they physically kind of uh, look like. But again, you know, families, you think, how many really want, if they have that cross, that Victoria Cross, how many want to give it up and and, and let it be part of a museum? I think more than will want to keep it. I think so many people say, hey, what am I going to do with it for one? And I don't want to risk something happening to it. So, you know, with the acquisitions, uh, the Canadian War Museum now has 36 of the 73 Victoria Crosses that were awarded to Canadians during the First World War, uh, including seven of nine awarded uh, at Passchendaele. So I, I find that just totally amazing, Ramya. Yeah, that's pretty much half, right? And that's the thing. The question about, you know, do you want to give it up? Do you want to sacrifice this uh, item, this memorial for a the better cause, the, the better learning of all the rest of us? I think it's time to think of it as gifting, right? Gifting for our knowledge and therefore we can gain something out of it. And you're not really parting with it. It's always going to be a part of our history, a part of um, these individuals' histories as well and memories. I think we go back to the term, you know, we we don't want to forget. Lest yeah. we forget yeah. what, what these mean, what they represent. And they represent, you know, Heroes, people who risked their life for somebody else um, or, or gave their life for somebody else. So uh, I, too, I feel very, very important that these things are put where people can stop and say, mm-hmm. wow, that's what one looks like. And there's here's their story. A rap icon, folks, is reaching for a new high of seeing his name on a movie marquee. Oh, no. 
The Dog Father is now getting the big screen treatment. Universal Pictures developing a biographical film about the life of rap star Snoop Dogg. And you can say Snoop's paw prints will be all over it. He will be producing his own biopic. The film will be written by John Robert Cole, who co-wrote the two Black Panther movies, and directed by Alan Hughes, the filmmaker behind Menace to Society. In a statement, Snoop says teaming with Universal will make it easier to put his vision of himself on the big screen. It was Universal that did Straight Outta Compton, the movie story of the rap group NWA and 8 Mile, which featured Eminem. I'm Oscar Wells Gabriel. So I am torn, obviously, on do I want someone that so involved or do I want some director, producer <laughs> with, with the cred? Um, I think for some people, they're going to tell the story they want to tell. We're going to know how much they've... I won't say falsified it, but how much they've embellished it. Uh, Or we're going to hear things, see things that probably if someone else had their hand on it would say, well, maybe I better not go that route or maybe that's not quite the interpretation. We get what we're supposed to hear. I just hope that we're not, uh, great things are not taken away. Information, um, uh, desire of what we want to know from a biopic about Snoop. I hope things are not taken away because he has too much hand in it. Like it is difficult for people to put something down and say, all right, you guys take over. I'm sure you'll do a great job. Obviously it's not cut and simple like that, but yeah, I do wonder if somebody has too much of a hand in their own product. Is that okay? Yeah. You know, he's pretty legendary. So we'll see. He is. And you want the story, not, the embellishment really as much you want to know these steps folks speaking of steps we'll step aside for just a moment as we bring michael fair on board right here on kelly and company Reach out to Accessible Media, Inc. You can do it. Feedback at AMI.ca. Send an email. Maybe you've got questions about AMI-tele, AMI-tv, or AMI-audio. Feedback at AMI.ca. Folks over there in communication and marketing, they'll help you out. On Twitter, at AMI-audio. That's the handle in case you want to keep up with what's happening on our program. Follow along. That's at AMI-audio on Twitter. And you can always give us a call, 1-866-509-4545. Always love to hear your voice. If you drop us a message, mention it's for Kelly and company. And if you don't mind, give us permission to use your message on the air, 1-866-509-4545. Kelly McDonald at the Home Studio, London, Ontario. Romeo Muthin and uh, main campus at AMI. We uh, drag Halloween vibes a little longer every time. So let's get into some fun and Halloween-ish audio entertainment with Michael Fair. Hi, I'm Mike Fair. iPhones, iPods, and iPads are everywhere, and they're doing great things for the blind. We explore all that, plus audio entertainment, dramas, podcasts, internet radio, and games. We share it all on Kelly & Company. Michael Fair went out and checked what's new from the uh, Dark Adventure um, radio theater crew. And you're telling us today about the latest feature called The Horror in the Museum. Looking forward to it. How did the pandemic, Michael, affect productions of Dark Adventure radio theater episodes? Well, in a couple of different ways. First of all, they had to scale back their productions because of of the actors. You can't can't have actors in the same place 
when you're in lockdown. So they had to have one person at a time in the studio. And uh, so they did a lot of, of you know, one on one by one voice work and then, you know, patching things together, a lot of a lot more heavy on the post-production. So it slowed them down and, and made them sort of shrink the casts a bit, you know, to, to keep things manageable and sort of choose their stories, I guess, with that in mind. The other thing it does for them, because they're not just about audio dramas, they produce props, physical props for HP Lovecraft fans, for role-playing gamers and other people who are into this stuff. Uh, it might be uh, magazine pages or photographs that look aged and like they were taken back in the 30s. And uh, so, you know, they, they have to ship that, obviously. And uh, you can basically get them with the CDs or you can get them uh, if uh, digitally uh, sort of emailed to you. Uh, I think they still offer that. They certainly offer them physically separately uh, for people who want them. And, of course, all of that is is slowed down, put on hold uh, until they get people in there to work at the warehouses. So, you know, it, it did, it, I think out of all our outfits that I follow for audio dramas, these people took probably one of the worst hits and uh, they, they've seemingly survived. You know, it, it, they're still kicking along. Mm. What challenges, what things to think about and, and, you know, the hits that are left and right. And, and sometimes it's just the circumstances, the way you do things, the situation you're in at that current moment. Let's move to the story, sir. What's it about? Well, the horror at the museum is basically uh, the main character, Steve, uh, Stephen Jones, and uh, his his partner, Eleanor Patterson, who is his financier. They go to England uh, and uh, travel around. They want to find uh, new attractions to set up in Chicago. Uh, and it's, it's this is back in the 20s, 30s-ish kind of era. So they're looking around. They go to the Wax Museum, Madame Tussauds Wax Museum, and they find these strange, horrific pieces of art that are made by uh, George Rogers, this strange, reclusive artist. And uh, so they, they want to, they think, oh, this, you know, this kid Steve Jones thinks this is great. You know, he wants to hook up. But they learn that this artist has been fired, dismissed from the museum for some unorthodox views and behaviors. And uh, so, you know, he thinks, oh, well, We'll go to his museum, and they, they find Mr. Rogers' museum, and boy, uh, that set off, sets off a whole chain of consequences as you learn more about what influences the art and the pieces in the museum. I bet. Mike, what's so special about wax museums? Well, and this is one of the things, like, I've heard about this stuff for most of my life, you know, where, where you, you go in as a sighted person and you look at these figures and they're so well crafted that they look lot, almost like they're they're alive. Like you'd swear they were looking at you. So if you go into say a room of criminals, which is one of the things at the museum that Madame Tussauds used to have, a room of like famous criminal figures, like you'd swear they, these these uh, you know ghastly looking individuals were you know you're looking at you and, and you know might be planning some mischief. Uh, so the rumor was that she issued a challenge to, that she'd give $25 if someone could spend an hour alone in the in the criminal famous criminal section of the museum with all these pe- these figures looking like they're staring <laughs> at them. <laughs> so, but apparently that was false. She never actually did that. But the rumor was persistent for decades and decades. Wow. So, how faithful is this adaptation to the original story? Well, it, it, from what I've read, I've never actually read this story uh, before. I, I still have to complete my reading of all of Lovecraft's stuff. 
Um, but uh, apparently, from what I've uh, the reviews say, it is quite faithful. But they did add a character in the form of Eleanor Patterson, and and this is kind of a usual thing uh, with uh, uh, Dark Adventure uh, Productions. They they realize that you know Lovecraft had some horrible racist views, which are you know, all over his stories, and you have to sort of deal with that now that we're in the modern era. So one of the things I'd like to do is they add these twists to their stories and sometimes their characters that that kind of either really put those views out or challenge them head on and say, hey, you know, this isn't right. Or, you know, and you sort of see that with Eleanor. Uh, she is a financier, so they're business partners, but she is often mistaken for a fiancé. Uh, like, of course, she's going to marry him. You can't possibly be an equal business partner. But but in fact, if there's no romance there. They're business partners. And uh, so she is bankrolling uh, Stephen Jones's uh, attractions. So there's that. There's uh, And she kind of grounds. She gives uh, the story a bit more grounding and a, and a bit richer feel for her presence there. Hmm. Now, how was the acting overall with all of it? It was really well done. Uh, Amir Abdullah, uh, we've heard him in bit roles uh, often in, in previous productions that these people have done, but this time he really gets an extensive role as Orobono, the uh, mysterious assistant of the artist, George Rogers. And uh, so we really get to see him stretch his wings in this, and I think he did brilliantly. Uh, very enjoyable. Sean Branny is a, a popular, he's always in these things and often gets uh, lead roles here. And he played uh, Mr. Rogers, George Rogers, the artist. And he did that very, very well, you know, gave him a lot of vigor and verve and, you know, you could, and, and eccentricity. You could just feel that. Uh, McCarran Kelly uh, uh, played Eleanor Patterson, you know, this, this steel nerved business lady traveling and uh, in getting into this this strange uh, situation and uh, again really really well done those three really steal the show but the rest of the cast is brilliant too they they always have seemingly a really good time doing it and uh, wouldn't mind hearing some interviews from these folks we don't get too much of that from no. uh, hmm. you know, from this we don't see the extras and the making ofs that they, there's some of that on the website but they they don't uh, tack it onto as many of their productions as I think they, they probably ought to. Do you think that's kind of phasing out for some people? You know, like, I don't understand, you know, when you think about yeah. how come that's not happening, Michael, like it used to. And it's not, even at big uh, places like Big Finish, it's not a given. Uh, that, that usually you get something, but it, it's right. not as extensive as it might have once been. So, yeah, I, I hope they don't drop that because I really, I've always enjoyed that. It's, it's always neat to go behind the scenes with this stuff. So how was the sound and music for you guys? Sound and music were pretty much up to their levels and in pretty much every way. This this uh, production announces that these people are back in full swing. You know, the sound was, was they kind of do a, a good job, but it's not quite as enveloping as something like graphic audio or big finish, but it's it's really, it's a cut above, you know, the basic. Like they give you that environment, they give you the stereo situation. You can hear characters moving around and things. Uh, they get that old-time radio feel, which I think is what they're going for. They're going for, yes. let's modernize it, but keep that old-time sort of slightly distanced kind of perspective on the story that you're being told. And the so, music, of course, is great. It all yeah. It's all through. It sets the mood, does its job well, uh, never kind of overbears on anything, uh, but it, it's there like it is in a good movie. 
are they known for utilizing a lot of music in production? Well, it depends. Some of it, it varies with what they're doing. Sometimes it's more sparse than others, but in this one, it's pretty much solidly, you know, an element in, in a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's mostly like bridges between scenes, things like that, sort of setting the mood or when, you know, some excitement happens, kind of. Right. So was it worth the price for you and Sarah to check it out? I'd say yes. You know, the, the, you, it's they're shorter productions. This one's about 75 minutes. Uh, and uh, so you're getting a basically a little shorter than than a feature length movie, but it's uh, it's well done and and for for what they have available, like these people aren't big wig like they don't have the resources that the larger mm-hmm. houses have. They're they're a bunch of of just people who really care about the work, love H. P. Lovecraft and his work, and want to want to promote that. And uh, you know, I think as as a, a group of of you know actors, they are in other things. Uh, as well, and they, they make time for these things, and I think they, you, you can you can sort of feel the love in that, the the, the joy they have in, in in doing these productions. So I think in, for that those reasons, it's, it's absolutely worth collecting these. Do you uh, go out and check out what others have said about it? You know, reviews or if it's getting a lot of traction, regardless. Yeah, I will. I will look at the reviews if I can. On and sometimes I, you know, I find it out so early that there is not much there. But you know, over time, I'll check back and see what people are thinking. And and it, this so far, the reviews are all you know, pretty good for this one. It's it's pretty much uh, you know they the they've kept pretty faithful. They've improved on the original story where they've changed, which is always a good thing to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people generally are are pretty much liking what they do. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, you know I I think they're really back and, and to see the cast uh, and everything the numbers of the, in that cast they were you know for a lot of bit parts yeah so that's uh, it's good to see that that effort that those people involved so uh, yeah so I think a lot of bit parts when you get them and especially when you look back at something with a feel of old time radio you would get other people other cast members maybe doing those voices yeah and and, and this time there are there are more there are more original. Like different people, like not do, people doing like three or four different roles. You do get some of that, uh, but usually it's only a couple of different. And then you have like just original people doing a couple of the cast bits. Yeah, yeah. And, so and again, it's it's a, it's a different world the way we do stuff now, and it's a lot harder now to pass off. You know, Mike Fair changing his voice. Hey, how are you? You know, as the guy yes. passing on the street. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and so there's a bit more scope, a bit more room for that. If you get actors who can really change their voices significantly, uh, I've heard Dave Warner, for example, uh, for, from what I hear, you know, they hire him for his voice because he doesn't really change it all that much, according to one of the things in uh, in the the uh, Morlington uh, Crescent uh, series. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember the original name, and it, oh, uh, uh, Sixpence and Shilling Investigates. They had a good interview uh, making of in that. And that was one of the things we learned about him, a very famous actor who uh, Doctor Who fans will be very familiar with. And, uh, yeah, so things like that are kind of neat. Like they, some people can't change their voices quite as much, and you'd notice if they did more than one thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, I'm sure this is a great one for people to check out. So thanks for the details, and we'll chat with you next week. Absolutely. Well, interesting stuff for you then. Yes, I count on it. You can find The Horror in the Museum and other Dark Adventure radio theater titles at hplhs.org. So check it out. And we also have that site directly on our blog, ami.ca slash kellyco. And Mike's back next Thursday. In a couple of minutes, we're going to do a little bit of 
celebrating, as a matter of fact. The Royal Winter Fair turned 100 years old this year. And off to visit and check out the place, gardener Susan Kearney tells us about uh, her recent visit to this indoor agricultural event. And we know it in the Toronto area. She'll share with you wherever you are listening in in two minutes. Welcome back to the program and wherever you're listening in around the world. Appreciate you being with us. Maybe you're over at AMI.ca streaming the show right from there as you can the website. Maybe you're listening in on the Radio Player Canada app, especially if you used to live over here in Canada and you're just like, oh, I want to hear some Canadian content. That app is full of Canadian content, including us. That's the Radio Player Canada app or simply keep it simple if you're working and at the computer. AMI.ca, great place to stream AMI audio. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program. Thanks for being with us. And let's welcome in our gardener, Susan Kearney, who talks all things gardening on the show. Hello, I'm Susan Kearney. Join me on Kelly and Company to learn about the joy of gardening by using touch, taste, scent, and sound. Now I'm listening to see if there's any creaking bones or you know that feel of age and i i don't i couldn't even imagine the royal winter fair having any of that it's just too much of a happening event as we announced that it is 100 years old and susan is here to debrief us on her visit to the fair welcome back Suze. hello it was so nice to go to the fair live. Of course, we haven't been there since 2019. Right. So it was such a good experience. Help me uh, out, we Sue. Were a com- yeah. when, did the, when, how can I say this? I'm going to say it anyway. When we were younger, <laughs> Sue, did the thing start later? Was it more kind of right in November, like the first or second? And now does it start before Halloween or always um, or what? No, it, 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 it usually, it, it always starts in, in November. Um, this year it started on the 4th of November. Mm, right, Sometimes yep. it's a little bit later. Uh, okay. And um, th- this year they, they did start it on the 4th. And it goes through until this um, coming Sunday. And, um, yeah, it was it was a lovely experience just, just to go through and talk to everybody again. And, and uh, we were accompanied by... Some of our grandchildren. Nice. So, of course, oh. the, the animals were big on the list of, of of visiting. So we spent a lot of time, but they they learned a lot of things: um, sheep shearing, and, and uh, milking cows, and all about chickens. So that 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 was really cool. And uh, we and also this year because it's the hundredth uh, anniversary, they have a tartan. And the tartan is now registered with the uh, Scottish Tartan um, Association in Scotland. And it's apparently very pretty. It's uh, royal blues. I believe it has some reds and golds in it. Uh, I bought myself a scarf uh, from uh, with the tartan. Nice. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll be wearing that very proudly. Uh, I think that's really cool <laughs> that, that they did that. We also went through... Um, many uh, of the uh, we love the, the food areas um, because you get to talk to a lot of the people who are the 
the, the farmers. Um, they produce a lot of their own, you know, the 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 uh, sheep's uh, milk cheeses mm-hmm. and the um, oh, yes. and the, and the cow the the cow the milk cheese and different um, different condiments, which was really neat. And many of them um, go into competition, which is really cool. And then you can go and um, look at the the ones that have have won the, mm. in the in the competitions. And that's interesting, um, that, you know, isn't it, Sue? Because as you say, they've won. You've got a mm-hmm. different way of judging these because for all of us who go to the grocery store, grab our block of cheese, they don't quite look the same. No, ab- absolutely not. And and uh, that was that was really neat to uh, because my my grandchildren are a little bit older now. Um, they could appreciate. We went and and looked at some of the. Uh, uh, different. Um, they were behind glass, but the the, the jars of, of jams and jellies and relishes and uh, the different cheeses and butters. And they had a butter sculpture too, which was sculpting, which was really cool. They, <laughs> that um, that that was a big hit. They um, stayed for a while to to watch that. They thought that was really cool. And it, it's just a neat idea that um, uh, that the people who produce they work so hard. Um, to produce these things, um, our, our food, and um, grow things, and then they they can go into um, competition, which is really neat. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different competitions too, which is what always fascinated oh, yeah. me about the Royal Winter Fair. Like uh, yeah. you're you're really just bringing everything to us, and there's the interest and fascination because it's so fantastic and some of these things are so over the top and then others you're like you're saying we're learning like we're learning about what goes into the production yeah. the manufacturing the the distribution of everything we eat uh really yes and 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 where it grows mm-hmm. um yep. you know di- different places where um different things grow and uh, w- one of the things that uh, there was a, a blueberry farm and uh, i i bought a blueberry horse so good um, I, I'm putting it on everything. I put it on cheese and crackers. And, okay, is uh, it hot? Bit. Is it hot? Dan Panamondo, no. he's over there now saying, what, what, what where? Uh, it's not it's hot, hot, though, okay. eh? Oh, okay. It's, 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 stop it's listening spicy. Now. It's spicy, and it, it has a little bit of heat to it, but it also has that lovely blueberry sweetness to it, oh, which, yeah. which is just that combination. It's just, it's absolutely delicious. So that that was my fa- my my favorite um uh, thing jar to, to, to take away though I'm okay that's that I I needed to have that so wow. I I bought that one and um, I also went to um, a booth and and I will do more on this particular product when I start using it it's a fertilizer and it's made from fish products and and water and uh, I I will start using it probably in the spring I don't fertilize many of my indoor plants. Or my out, and of course, not my outdoor plants uh, during the winter. But I will start using it. It's very interesting. I, I found that fascinating. So I did buy myself a what, great what big made jug you of that. spend the money on that if it's not something you generally use? Well, I do use it, um, but only during the growing season. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I do use some um, for usually a, a natural fertilizer um, uh, uh, during the growing season, but this particular one um, I I will try. I'm I'm very excited to to try it, and uh, I was there quite a while speaking to the people who have the farm who uh, make this, and uh, I 
I'm just I, I'm interested in in things that are being developed, um, things like that, and are you know sounds, it, sounds are, environmentally friendly too. Mm. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, I yes it, it it is yes very you know, very that's that's what it's being um, for, and also a, a lot of nutrition in in it. Uh, and um, and using uh, what would probably be waste. I'm not really certain um, that I have to do more research on. That's why I said I'll, I will be um, talking about that in a, in another segment once I start to use it and um, know more what's what's in it and how it's produced and so on. And it's, it was very very interesting, very very educational. Mm-hmm. Did you spend yeah. any time with the animals? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, uh, one of our one of our um, one of our grandchildren um, has just started um, riding horseback riding. Oh, yeah. So of course we got to go see the see the horses and uh, sit down and watch a little bit of the practicing in the ring. Um, it, there wasn't competition; they were just really um, breathing and uh, just exercising the ho- the horses. So mm-hmm. that was that was really neat. Um, they they really enjoyed that. And um, and I do too. I love the horses. I used to ride myself, so mm-hmm. um, I I like that. And then um, of course we saw the sheep and sheep shearing, uh, which was very interesting. Cause that then would I explained be. to yes, and and why the because why the sheep had the, the coats on because they've been sheared, and this is where this is where wool comes from, and you know that 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 was interesting. Uh, that, I think my grandkids were very surprised that you know you have something that's wool, and then um, and and then looking at the sheep, and like, exactly. Oh, well, that's where, where it, it came comes from. from. Yeah. Uh, and it's also yes. winter, man. They have to have a coat on. You know what? It seems right. like such a um, such a simple kind of form of education, but it's odd how you know not in touch we are that way, right, Susan? So it's true to have yeah. the the stuff there, and then the stuff that brought us the stuff there. I, I wonder if the schools. Attend like they used to. They used to be there in droves. I don't. I don't know that. In fact, we were ta- we were talking about that. Um, whether or not the, the the schools attend, I I don't believe that uh, because it's not been on since 2019. I'm I'm not really sure. Maybe before that they did. I do remember um, quite a while ago. Uh, you know, being at the at the fair and there were uh, school like schools. Um, going school children going through and and so on but i i'm not really sure none of my grandchildren have gone with their schools no. um hmm. they, they've Sad. gone with us yeah 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 yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I remember we were going to when i was in school yeah, uh at branford and we we never ended up going which was at because of course you say fair you know you just finished the fall fair so you're oh, it's a winter fair oh my gosh all these rides yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> sure you can ha- you can you can hug a pumpkin and roll there's a ride for you uh did the, <laughs> did the kids get surprised over the size of some of those pumpkins and the shapes yes they, oh yeah yes they, they did and um and and um they were quite interested that um, vegetables won awards. <laughs> they thought that was really, really interesting because they have been out to pumpkin farms. They've they've gone and uh, chosen their own, picked their own pumpkins. So they've seen them actually growing in a field um, out at a you know at a pumpkin farm. But they were very surprised that some of them were so absolutely enormous. And um, yeah, and uh, that 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 was really neat too. And just. Th- 
have the children being explained uh, how, like these vegetables, they, they they grow. They you know they they grow on our farms. Mm-hmm. So that that was that was neat. I always loved having the snow cones there. I don't know. It, it didn't seem it was like the fair part of the road. Yeah, they, they, they don't grow on any farm. <laughs> they don't grow on any farm. There's no farming. There's no animals. But but they always had a snow cone. <laughs> but your school went. Your school actually no, not went? school. Actually, it oh, was okay. through the Toronto District School Board Vision Program. So right. okay. every oh, year, and I grew up with it. Like since I was a kid, this was one of the social skills events that we'd go out with um, a whole bunch of blind, cool. low vision kids of all ages. And the Royal Winter Fair nice. was awesome because we got to hold the baby chicks and play with yeah. pigs if we wanted to and visit the cows yeah. and Talk the to horses. the roosters. The roosters, yeah. yeah. Check out all the pumpkins. And they were the staff there were incredible about giving us, you know, touch tours and things like yeah. that. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that, that's what I find. And, and, and everyone's willing to, to talk to you about their, their product. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that's what I proud. think is the beautiful thing, the pride. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I found some of that even here in London at the Western Fair when you'd go in, you know, to the to the buildings, to the Progress Building yes. and, and the animals. And oh, yeah. they, they would very much talk to you about things or, let, you mm-hmm. know, as a blind child, here, you know, do you want to touch it? Do you want to, you know, yeah. yeah, as long as I get my hand back, you know, I was okay for <laughs> any of that. But it, it's a real experience. But... What am I going to say here, and how do I say it, Suze? There is still definitely the commerce part of it, the commercial end of it, because these oh, are people yes. finishing up, yes. and this is money to them. Oh yes, absolutely. That, that's that's their 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 jobs. That's that's what they do, and proudly too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very I'm very happy that you went because I feel oh, like yes. we've been so deprived. Anyone who goes <laughs> off into the Royal Winter Fair, I feel so deprived. So it's really yep. nice. Um, yes, it was it was wonderful. So it's a hundred years old. How many yeah. years have you gone there, Suze? <laughs> oh my goodness! Because you've seen the oh. changes. No, I know. Oh, I know. Yes. I'm not trying to suggest you've gone <laughs> like 90, say, ninety out of the hundred or anything ridiculous <laughs> like that. I had to word it the right way, but <laughs> I, I have been going for many, well, many, many, many years, uh, a long time, and and yes, it it, it has changed. Mm-hmm. It's it's got. And one of you know one of the things that that did change, I think, about ten or fifteen years ago, that other products came in. Um, there were you know there were the products from um, Alpaca Farms, which uh, right. I, I never yeah. saw yeah. you know years ago, which nope. is it, that's really cool. Like you know, and 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 just there there have been a tremendous amount of changes, but also you know um, some things similar. Yeah. yeah. And things, mm-hmm. you know, there's the change, but things remain the same. Back then, we never Absolutely. heard of alpacas. My goodness. Thanks a lot, no, Suze. No. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Suze joins us uh, every second Thursday right here on Cali and Company. Susan Kearney, of course, our gardener. Coming up in just a couple of moments, folks, the 35th edition of Wisa Gichuk Begins to Dance is on now through November 20th at Aki Studio. We learn more about this wonderful showcase with the interim artistic director at Native Earth, Joelle Peters. Up next on Kelly and Company.
You can check out the show in podcast form, too, by the way, in case you can't be here from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern when we do the live show. Check us out via the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. You can look for AMI-audio, Kelly and Company, and you can check out the show in segment form. Maybe there's a contributor that you like, you just want to tune into that, or you catch the show, and maybe it's halfway through a very engaging interview like the one we've got coming up. No problem. Go back, go to the podcast feed, and listen to it as much as you want, over and over if you'd like, or include it as part of your binging of Kelly and Company. Also, you can listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience where we toss on an audio vanity card at the end. Check it out via your favorite podcast platform. And while you're in there, maybe give us a rating and review. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program with my co-host, Ramya Muthan. Let's talk a little bit of art now. Native Earth Performing Arts is Canada's oldest professional Indigenous performing arts company dedicated to developing, producing, and presenting professional artistic expressions of the Indigenous experience in Canada. The 35th edition of Wisa Gichuk Begins to Dance is on now till November 20th at Aki Studio, and we want to learn more about it. It gathers over 15 artists from across Turtle Island to develop and showcase contemporary Indigenous performances, um, plus excerpts from new work and development musical performances, a mini pop-up market, panels, and lots and lots more. So to learn more about this whole shebang, we're going to speak to Joelle Peters, the Interim Artistic Director at Native Earth. Joelle, thank you for spending some time and joining us on Kelly and Company. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about Native um, Native Earth performing arts and why this work resonates with you. Oh my gosh, I cannot thank Native Earth enough for the things that is do- it's done in my own life, like both personally and professionally. I started working at the company about six years ago now, and I started in box office, just kind of in between gigs. I, I'm also an actor and a playwright, mm-hmm. so it was really great to stay within the work that is Indigenous arts. It it kept me engaging with other artists and making these connections. And Native Earth has done that for so many other people as well. I, I can't I can't thank them enough. They're really we. We are really trying our best to support as many Indigenous folks as we can. And it there's a lot of really exciting work that we're presenting this year at the festival and I'm so thrilled. Nice. I I mean, it sounds really beautiful what you're describing in the work. Can you tell us about the 35th edition of Wisa Gichuk Begins to Dance and where people can go to experience the performance? Absolutely. So about, um, oh, I want to say about a decade ago, we, we became, our home became Aki Studio in Regent Park. So we are within the Daniel Spectrum building and um, there's a lot of other things going on as well, but we have our own intimate studio where we host the festival every year. Um, We're pretty accessible via transit, Mm -hmm. via uh, parking around the area and people can check us out online this year as well. We're doing a bit of a hybrid model And it's exciting because that allows us to engage with people who aren't able to be with us in person. Yeah, 
No, that's definitely true. And uh, the the hybrid model is becoming more and more, I don't want to necessarily assume the norm, but uh, it's becoming more widely appreciated for lots of reasons. What can attendees expect, people who come out? There's a lot to, like, I, I, well, let me think here. Let's see. <laughs> there's, uh, yeah, it's a lot to wrap your head around. Um, there's of course excerpts from new work, as you mentioned before, and they, they also take a bit of different turns. Like some of them are, are a bit more dramatic. Some of them are a bit more in the comedy realm. Some of them there's burlesque, there's, there's visual art, there's, um, solo shows, there's ensemble work, dance. I mean, you name it, we've got a bit of a, a bit of everything. And because it's there is that variety and there's so much that people can um, lean into with when it comes to arts, do you feel that there is a theme? Like that there's an overall kind of uh, something that you can find in everything? I would say, I mean, this might be bold, but I feel <laughs> it's true. Indigenous brilliancy. Wow. That's really it. Mm, Everyone incredible. is creating incredible work. And wow. yeah, it's they're they're brilliant. <laughs> well, uh, and and even I'm imagining so many choices, so many different things. Artists, how do you sit there when it comes time to making your program up and having to say, okay, we we have X number of artists, we got to cut it off here. When you know there's so many out there, so much, so many people wanting to bring things to the table, does that become an issue? Or with the way you've got it set up, can you really include? a reasonable number that makes you feel happy and that you're giving people that stage to be on. I would say that was a big struggle for this year because you also have to think about, okay, the costs of accommodations in the city have gone up. So we've got to house how many artists from out of town. We've also got to cover their travel to get here. Um, So we're thinking about, okay, how do we balance hiring local artists who, you know, we should be, be bringing in first and then um, also the exciting work that's outside of the city and um, there's also a really big surge right now with people across the country hiring Mm. indigenous artists which is great then again you're battling so many different schedules so it it is challenging and and um, we we got really lucky I think we we uh, with this being my first kick at the can you know I've been around the festival for a number of years but this is my first time a bit at the helm I I'm glad that we came to a number of folks that that feels reasonable but also not like not too big not too small it Mm. feels it feels right it's really interesting because I worked on a, a a documentary in Nunavut, and it's amazing how when you find places and and one of the things people who uh, residents who are there say, we have a lot of artists up here. We have a lot of artists here, and from different walks of life, um, in, including indigenous, of course. And it really makes you say, wow up here surviving trying to put their work out there and we know it's people working really hard to distribute their work throughout canada can you talk a little bit about the pop-up market and what can be found there speaking of people's work oh yeah oh my gosh we have five local artists i think we've got um some beadwork like earrings necklaces we've got some prints postcards we we have some work from the scenic no that's not the word the the visual artist that we worked with on our 
season um, designs. So she she allowed us to print out the prints for each of our plays this season, and we're, we'll be selling those. We've got um, a visual artist, Alexa Black, that we're working with as part of our 40 Seeds for 40 Seasons program. And she's based out of Vancouver. So we're we're really fortunate to be able to showcase her work, even though she's not able to be with us in person. Um, what else do we have? Oh, my gosh. We'll, so we'll have some Joelle. cookies. <laughs> oh, well, that's always there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing, though, <laughs> when, you, when you look at everything that's there and the possibilities. Can you talk about the panelists, too? Let's jump over there. Uh, what kinds of presentations? Because people always love to hear what people have to say, especially to inspire others to follow the path. Absolutely. So we've got two panels. One of them is about our anemic key program, which is um, supporting artists through a two year cycle. And so they get the chance to work on their their plays or, or whatever they're working on. They get to the chance to work on it for two years with us, get some support with a dramaturg and uh, present at the festival. So we are presenting them digitally. And we wanted to do this panel to talk about the history of the program because it's been uh, a little bit over a decade since it started. So just because uh, not everyone knows the history, and I think yeah. it's, it's really interesting and beautiful. The other, the other panel is on Indigenous dance, and it's moderated by Jeanette Kotowicz, who is a dancer from Vancouver. And it's uh, it showcases Brian Solomon, Wabate Falbister, and Samantha Sutherland, all artists who have worked in some capacity around either Aki Studio or like our company. And they're they're really just sharing space together, which I think is another important aspect of the work that we do. It's just giving artists the opportunity to be together in a room on Zoom <laughs> and and talk. Wow, that's amazing. Um, let's talk a little bit briefly about your thoughts here on this next subject of what could be done to teach Canadians uh, a little bit more about the Indigenous experience in Canada. That's a really great question. That's a big question. It is. I mean, there's there's a lot. I, I feel like, especially nowadays, there's way more resources out there than there were before like there are a lot of people putting in the work on instagram there's a lot of people putting in the work on facebook i think even just engaging with the arts that we are putting out seeing the plays seeing the dance seeing the visual art that we're putting out even stand-up comedy like we we're using a lot of different mediums to express ourselves and talk about our history our stories where we're going next and i think the first step is really just to witness it for sure wow uh, where can we go to get more information so we can attend you can go to our website nativeearth.ca we're also on twitter instagram and facebook amazing joelle nativeearth.ca that's where we'll go to find out more about this wonderful event coming up thank you so much for taking the time we appreciate it and all the best thank you so much take care you too Joelle Peters is the Interim Artistic Director at Native Earth, talking to us about the 35th edition of Wisagichuk Begins to Dance. It's on now through till November 20th, so check it out.
We're going to pause for just a moment here on the program. And in the next hour on Accessible Gaming, Debbie Williams features the Game of Thrones-themed Game of Clue. Our guest for this week's roundtable is Toronto AMI reporter Alex Smythe. But up next, it's the Thursday Buzz. Does Buzz. He'll be uh, here for the buzz. Bill Shackleton in a moment. Welcome back to the program. It's hour two of Kelly and Company. Romeo Muthan, Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts of the show. Here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Check out on the weekend the best of Kelly and Company. And while you're at it, maybe through your podcatcher, you can go and check out the best of the buzz with Bill Shackleton through AMI-audio exclusives. Shaq, welcome back to the program as you join us for the second edition this week of the buzz. How are you today, sir? Doing good, doing good. Where are we starting? Is are we picking up? I know yesterday we didn't get to all your items. We well, teased yeah, I it. Wanted, yeah, I teased it, so I better come through. Mm-hmm. This is actually quite interesting. World's tallest woman takes flight, first flight after airline removes six seats. A nice gesture. This comes from us from Business Insider. Um, so a Turkish woman who wasn't able to fly, she's has a condition called Weaver syndrome which is, from what I could find, it's unusual bone growth. Um, and she's seven foot, seven inches. And essentially, she's kind of big to sit in an airline seat. And so Turkish Airlines removed six seats so to, to accommodate her. It sort of reminds me, you know, of the time when if you were obese, you had to take You had to pay for an extra seat, which is kind of ridiculous, but they were able to, she has, she, she um, moves in a wheelchair. She is, she had to lie down for the 13 hour flight. Um, She was, she flew from Istanbul to San Francisco to, to join her daughter and work on uh, her systems analyst um, things that she was doing. It's, you know, when you think of this story, you think of of how people remember the elephant man sort of that movie how a person was terribly disfigured and you have to wonder sometimes you know the image that you have and how you were you know was she teased was she bullied i mean it's it's kind of well, you know to she's, live she's under that darn well those... successful by the sounds yeah. of everything i'm i'm hoping very happy with her life i didn't realize uh she was in a wheelchair so i because i was thinking six seats you know yeah. how does that help the lady in that capacity a few of you know but now i understand totally um for her to be able to get in there maneuver and and positioning of of uh for the long flight um i i'm glad that the efforts were made you know, when we talk six seats and we talk about how come people, Bill, were charged for the extra seat before in, in that punishment, instead of designing planes that didn't have you like, you know, a certain size only, basically, and, and yeah. sitting so tight in with people. And I don't care if it's you're, you're, you have a, you're a wider person, you're a taller person, you know, um, somebody who's, you know, six foot eight, seven feet tall, 
in a plane, yeah. obviously, just sitting there is going to be uncomfortable with your leg room uh, and your head room. Um, and I understand if you're if you have uh, you know if you're a wider person or anything like that, your your body shape, there's going to be those difficulties. It's just sad that we treat all these kinds of things like, oh my God, it's a rarity. We'll have to yank seats out. We'll have to do this and that. What? Why? Why can't we anticipate with all the things we know about? The you know our our, our societies, um, people size. It, it's like I don't want to say penalizing, but it's like being thoughtless of someone who might be shorter or someone who has a disability of, of a physical disability where they they can't like us who can't see. You know, yeah. I, I shouldn't have to be made to feel funny because I can't see any more than anyone who's taller. Um, their their body shape isn't the traditional shape that that the airplane manufacturers want to have, so they can jam more people into the planes. I think that's that's yeah you know that I think that's a lot of it is they apparently they have made the seats smaller to jam more people in it's just it's just ridiculous that um that these things uh, I'm hoping that other airlines who other people who picked up the story will feel empowered to maybe talk to the airlines and and you know maybe if you are in the same predicament um and and you know hopefully you can get some of the same treatment and maybe some of the airlines will wake up and realize that uh, there are people that want to travel that can't. I mean, it's just this is so many years of well, it is just the way it is, right? Like that was the yeah, attitude. Well, oh, you know, security is long. You have to wait in line. Like these kind of things um, that are just so normalized for so long. I think of Wonderland as another example, right? You, you oh, yeah. can't get on roller coasters. Oh, tough for you. You can't ride it, you know, or you, you got to wait in line 45 minutes to be able to get on the behemoth. This is not okay for a lot of us, right? Like not just specifically people who have um, mobility aids, but a lot of us can't do the time or don't have the 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 actual capability to do it and yeah so you you just miss out on half of life well that's not okay no, <laughs> right? no. Like, and that's just the way it's it's a given that's just the way society yeah. and a lot of times and i've said doors, this with doing theater everything. stuff right i've said when i've gone for wardrobe for theater stuff I, my shape doesn't lend itself for stuff that most actors yeah. are doing so the you know i have to put up with okay we've got everybody else uh fitted uh well let's see what we can find we for can, you yeah Exactly. Like, it's just yeah. unbelievable. Um, but I knew someone who was injured uh, overseas and had to fly home, and and it was just the same kind of predicament. Though it wasn't a permanent disability scenario, it's still like, well, what are you going to do? How you are we going to get home. you back? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Without it, well, we could get you a specialized uh, space on a plane that's going to cost you five times what a ticket mm-hmm. would because you yeah. need special care. Well, well, what if I just really need a, a, just a little extra space? Yeah. You need special care. You'll still have to pay for it. So, yeah. right. Shaq, what's your next item? Well, this is sort of on the same vein. Human library. Seniors tell stories to debunk discrimination. So just recently, a project was started in Toronto and they call it the human library. And the reason why they do that is because seniors, um, well, first of all, they are the most discriminated against people um, in the world because of their age and because there's so many misconceptions. Yes. They can't do this. They can't do that. So the human library is a, a way that 
you and I and and anybody can can basically get together with a senior and they can just talk and, and bridge the gap um, between the senior citizen who's very you know a lot of a lot of seniors are very experienced or very worldly and everybody well what do they know they're over the hill or whatever um, and and it it basically tells us it, you know we can learn a lot from seniors and the young people that are taking part in these sessions, they're one-on-one. It gives, you know, them a chance to learn what it's really like to be a senior. The seniors are telling their experiences and maybe how they can, you know, when you get older, when they get older, how they can make life better for for the next younger people that are Mm -hmm. coming up. Because, of course, everybody's going to get to the point where, you know, you're yeah. gonna you're getting up there, so yeah, I think it's great. It's and funny how we forget to talk to people, right? Oh, it, yeah. it, it, all of a that's... sudden they're too young. All of a sudden they're oh yeah. they're older. I don't know how to talk to them. All of a sudden you just for whatever reason the roadblocks that we put up that make us well, I don't relate. I don't understand. You know, I'll speak for my own experience. My father uh, is 66 and aging, and. Only a couple years ago, I'd say in the last five years, did I really start to understand things that he's gone through. And and he, we're immigrants, right? We've immigrated to Canada from Sri Lanka, and he's lived through wars. He's gone through all kinds of experiences that, A, I would never be able to completely understand. B, I didn't even realize or know until he shared his story. So you can only imagine how many people are out there. We just, we don't, like you said, Kelly, we don't talk to them. We have no clue. If it's not on social media, we probably will never run into it or realize the depth of conversation and understanding we could have of an entire population. Yeah. The other interesting thing that, that's happening with these human libraries is corporations apparently are starting to use them so that senior workers can can talk to the to young workers and give oh, them advice beautiful. on, you know, how to, you know, about working, what it's like to... to uh, Work in a company. How you deal with some of the these problems or whatever these issues that seniors have had to deal with, they, and just just how much us. they've actually lived through. Yeah, like we live right. in such a technological era now, but most of these people, um, you know, over sixty, have lived majority of their lives without even internet, right? So the things that they've seen yeah. and heard and and uh, experienced are just absolutely not anything we're familiar with now. And and the avenue of people management, dealing with problems, being told what how you deal with yep. being fired or yep. searching out a job or presentation when you have to talk to someone and you can't just, I'll just send my application in via right? email. I'd Before like to see you. Before the privileges <gasps> of what? now. Yeah. yeah. And then different countries, right? Like geographically, what people have learned through um, before they came here. People have all kinds of stories of... Uh, that that we just, again, don't know yeah. about. And we need to learn yeah. from. Yeah. Uh, Bill, let's Thank see if we can do your last one. Well, this is actually an interesting one. A fragment of the shuttle uh, that was destroyed over 30 years ago, what an event that was, was found on the ocean floor and out, out off the coast of Florida. And I'm hoping, um, I mean, I'm, and I don't pretend to be a conspiracy theorist, but um, it might shed light on what happened, why it happened, but I think the important thing for the victims is its closure. I mean, it might, um, I don't know how much they were told, I don't know how much they know, um, but but it's surely, hopefully, um, they can get a better understanding of 
maybe what happened and 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 maybe give these poor victims uh six astronauts i believe plus a school teacher give them some sort of closure because i'm sure i mean do they really know everything that happened do we know mm. you know what i mean probably yeah. not yeah. no well and Again, I know some people would say, well, man, that's old tech. That's the old technology. That's yeah. the old shuttle, blah, 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 blah. But all of it is so useful to know in reconstruction and going forward. And we don't know what, what little bit we know about space, about sending a, a, a vehicle up there and back. Yeah, we know nothing. So we may be doing it, but we know nothing about everything. That's why we're doing so much work. That's why we're talking something 30 years ago being more than that, um, being very useful to us. Billy, thanks a lot, pal. Nice stuff. Thanks a lot. We'll do it tomorrow. Bill Shackleton checks in with us Wednesday, Thursday, and Fridays on Kelly and Company. We call the segment The Buzz. Once again, a reminder, check out The Best of the Buzz via a podcast from AMI-audio. Always enjoy when Billy brings items to us. We never know where he's going to go. He just brings some stuff, and we just chat a little bit about it. Coming up in just a couple of moments here on the program, we're going to do our accessible gaming segment Today, Debbie Williams features the Game of Thrones themed game of Clue. We'll talk to her in a moment on Kelly and Company. Use your TV to listen to Kelly and Company. Shaw Direct Advanced. Customers over there, you guys can listen to us on channel 825. And Source Cable, look for us on channel 110. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, time for accessible gaming. It's going to be a battle here today. Rami Amuthan, Kelly McDonald, host of the show. Bragging rights. Bragging rights, that's right. Well, on the second Thursday of the month, we do get accessible gaming. It's a lot of fun with Debbie Williams, who's here to highlight today the Game of Thrones-themed game of Clue. And I can attest it's very, very fun, and she's going to walk us through it so you can go home and pick up your own versions. But Debbie, first of all, hello. Hello, how are you guys? Good. I just, you know, in case you weren't listening to the show, I've already brought up that I've won the sh- the the uh, game between <laughs> you and Multiple I. Multiple times Multiple is the times. way she put it. So we're all looking for the truth now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Once. Okay, once. once. Technically <laughs> once. Technically. But um, here, let's intrigue people. First, tell us what the object of the game is. So the object of the game, it works much the same as the regular clue, the old. I don't remember when it was release but you know you used to play them as a kid um so what you need to do is you need to solve a murder and you need to figure out who did it with what and where so this is accomplished by moving around the board the board has different rooms and you go into the room and then you can um start a rumor or make a suggestion as to who did it with what and where so the first person to guess that wins the game Mm. Sounds and this easy game, enough, right? It it sounds easy enough. It's a process of elimination. Um, it, it, exactly. It's a process of elimination. So um, this game, so what this game includes is this game has the board game. Mm-hmm. And in this particular version, there's actually two sides. Okay. Which is really fun because then you're not always stuck playing the same side. So one side, if you're a Game of Thrones theme, you will get this. If you're not, you may not. But 
Um, one side is the red keep, and the other side is the marine. I have a really hard time with that word. Um, so the board game actually includes 12 player pieces. So your suspects, six for each side, six weapons. So you have different weapons, um, poison vial, a dagger, faceless man. Um, Such a good throwback for fans the other of the time. show. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, a crossbow and a battle axe and another kind of fancy weapon. I think it's pronounced an Iraq. Yeah, I um, don't know yet. <laughs> we missed that part of the show. You get, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get two dice um, and you get your player cards. So you get cards for your characters, your weapons, and your locations. Okay. Um, and a scorekeeping pad. So the scorekeeping pad comes in handy when you're trying to eliminate who the suspect is. The dice is pretty interesting to too, right? It's not just a Ex- one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh. Exactly. So on, no. So on the dice, there's a question mark. So what that means is if you roll the dice and the question mark comes up, you pick up what's called an inquiry card. So these cards um, have different features. So, for example, you could pick a card, and they're, they're called master, Masters of Whispers. And the, the features of the cards are different. So one can be add six to your roll. One can be take an extra turn. Mm. One can be move anywhere on the board. Now, there's a really fun twist to this. Mm-hmm. In these cards, there are eight white, white walkers, which are basically zombies. Mm-hmm. If you draw a white walker, you lay it down face up. So everybody can see that you've drawn the white walker. Game continues. Once, all, once you have seven white walkers out, the person to draw the eighth one is eliminated from the game. So they can no longer guess who who did it. So they Completely can no eliminated. Out, out. So Completely they're out making popcorn. Out, out, out. Yeah. Exactly. So anyways, if I didn't exactly. get White Walkered out the last time we played, I would have won the game. That's what But you did, it. so yeah. you didn't. Okay. And not even close. We can't even pretend you won <laughs> multiple times. Exactly. Um, exactly. How, how do we set up the game? So the setup is really fun. Um, so each player will choose their character. So you'll choose, for example, in the Game of Thrones, you could choose Tyrion or Jamie Lannister or Cersei. Um, so each player will pick their character. And what the dealer does is he makes three piles of cards. So all the, the character cards, he puts them in a pile. The weapon cards, he puts them in a pile. And the location cards, he puts them in a pile. So then what the dealer will do is take one from each of those piles and put it in a little envelope and put it in the center of the board. That's your solution. And then the rest of the cards are divvied up between the players. So everybody will get cards, and it could be... Um, we played four people yesterday, so everybody got five cards. So it could be a combination of, you know, I had three locations, one character, and one weapon. Mm-hmm. So this is where the fun begins. This is where the gameplay begins. So everybody takes their little scorekeeping pad and marks off what they've got in their hand. Because you know that if you have a poison vial, you know that that's definitely not the weapon of choice, right? So again, you're starting to eliminate who done it with what and where. So how the game is played 
is each player takes their turn. So a player will roll their dice and move around the board, and the object is to get inside the room. Um, and then once you're in the room, you can do what's called starting a rumor or making a suggestion. So, for example, in the Game of Thrones, you have the gardens, you have Cersei's bedchambers, there's about 11 different locations. Right. So if you're in the gardens, then you can make a rumor. So you can say, I think it's Tyrion in the gardens with the poison vial, right? The person to your left, has to show you one of those cards if they have it. So if Ramia's to my left and she has any of those cards, she picks one and shows it to me. So if she shows me the poison vial, I can say, oh, good, it's not the poison. I mark it off my list. Ah. And then play continues. Yeah, so then Ramia will roll her dice, and let's say she ends up in the prison cells. That's another of the rooms. So she will then start a rumor. So she'll say, okay, it was... Cersei in the prison with the crossbow. So the person to Ramia's left, which could be you, Kelly, if you have any of those three cards, then you'll show it to her. What if I and don't? And then she'll what? be like, Moves if you the don't, person. then it goes to the next, next person. Next person to, to mm-hmm. that way to the yeah. left? Okay. Which is why it's exactly. interesting because if you're playing with six people, you may never know what like three to four people out of these out of this game have, right? Exactly. It's always, always the person, person left of you that gets first. It's not really dibs, but has to show you a card. Exactly. So it's really fun. So you're basically eliminating based on on the cards that people are showing right. you. The right. ones that, and, and and if they have that card, otherwise if you I don't know, pass. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Exactly. You just yeah. don't have anything to show you, right? Um which, which is really fun. I've played this game twice, and I really like it. So um, the other thing is is what they call making an accusation. So if you think you know who the suspect is, with what and where, you can say, I'm ready to make an accusation. So you go to the center of the board, and you state your accusation. So you say it was Peter Baelish in the gardens with the battle axe. So you're fully making an accusation. You take the envelope and you look inside the card. You don't show anybody. You look inside the card to see if you were right. If you're right, woohoo, you won. <laughs> if you're wrong, wah, 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 you are eliminated. Mm-hmm. So your cards are still in play because people can, you know, you're always sitting to the left of somebody, so you may show them the card, but you're eliminated. You can no longer make any rumors or you can no longer make any accusations. So you have to be really sure. Yeah. Like, you're just bummed out because you're white walkered out, but you still yeah. have to show everybody your cards. Uh, so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Debbie, <laughs> if this this game, like at least the, the one that you have, was not made accessible, or at least for blind low vision play. So can we talk a little bit about keeping track of things throughout the game um, and and making it accessible? Absolutely. So there's a number of things that you can do. Um what we were doing with reading the cards is we were using Seeing AI. So that's an app that's available on iPhone. I'm not sure and Android, if they've yep. done the and Oh, it is available on Android. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, look, I learned something even when I'm teaching something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you can use Seeing AI to read it. Um, you can also, if you wanted to, make your own stickers. 
So you can make Braille stickers, large print stickers to put them on the card. Ah. You can also check 64 ounces games. They're a company that actually has accessible kits for games. Um, I'm not sure if they do for the Game of the Game of Thrones crew. They do for the original. Um, and what they've done is they will provide you with stickers and a transparent board that you can use. Um, the other things that you can do is you can kind of play around and make your own board, right? You can use tactile marker, um, puff paint, which is like raised, and you could trace out the rooms and you can put labels um, on it. We haven't done any of that to the, the physical game because it's actually it could be a collector's item so i really don't want to tamper with it mm. um if you're playing more than six people you can play in teams i've done that at a party where there was like probably about 10 people so what we've done is we've paired up and you can, um, so we've paired up a, oh sorry go ahead you you could pair like a high partial or a sighted with somebody with less vision yeah um so that's what we've done and I was going to say um, the score keeping side of it because you're keeping track of your own cards, the cards that you've seen from other people, the process of elimination is totally in your own hands, right? right. So yeah. the the way that we've all played, because we've played with different levels of vision in, in our group games, um, is people just use whatever they want to keep track. So grocery apps, notes apps, checklists, you know, if you want to go all out and do a, a, a Microsoft Excel thing, like, absolutely yeah you keep track the way you want to exactly you know use your imagination i was using an app called our groceries which is fully accessible with voiceover um i think ramia you were using shopping list shopping list which is also an easy checklist app um another friend was just using you know a notes app she was comfortable with so easy peasy exactly you can even use your notes yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing what people will do. You can even use your Braille note taker if you have like yeah. a Braille display. Mm-hmm. Um, we were playing a game called Apples to Apples, and that's what a friend was doing when he was, somebody would just read him his card and he, cards and he would write them down, right? Oh, yeah. On his Braille note taker, you, you can use your Perkins Brailler, you can even use, you know, large print if that's what's, whatever is convenient for you. Definitely, you know, you can make it work and think about it and go, hmm, how can I do this? It was a lot of fun. It was, you know, it it took a little bit longer when we got, you know, trying to get used to using seeing AI or using the grocery app. But it really worked. Like the second time around, I was getting much quicker Yeah. um, as far as checking off my. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's a lot of fun. Well, and especially because it's such a secretive game, right? Like, it's not one of the games where all cards are face-up or everybody's supposed to know what superpowers you have, that kind of thing. You are keeping a lot to yourself as a player, and it's injected into the game that you do that. So um, the way that you can create whatever uh, scenario accessible for you is pretty important. Exactly, because you can't say to your neighbor, what's this card, right? Because (laughs) then you're going to be giving it away. The cool thing about this game is there's a lot of strategy involved in it, right? So if you have a particular player, like a particular card, whether it's a weapon, a location, or a player, you may hold on to it and never show it. Right, right. right. (laughs) (laughs) Or, (laughs) Or if you have one and people are always asking for, for, you know, that person you can always just keep showing them the same card 
right? So you're not giving anything away, right? The object is to not give away to the opponent, but right. you want to try to draw out as many cards as possible. So there is quite the strategy to yep. this game because you don't want anyone else to know what's going on, right? Just get people um, to wing it at the, the end and, and guess what they think it is and then kick them out of the exactly, game. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But just a fun fact, apparently in 1985, there was a film that was made um, for the original game of Clue and apparently it didn't do very well at the box office, but apparently there were three alternate different endings. Which was the kind film of itself so had three a... alternate endings? And, and they I remember that. One Yeah, I remember oh hearing my. that. I remember that. Wow. It was kind yeah, of a wild little gimmick. Wow. Yeah, That's and apparently funny. they played they played it at different theaters, but each theater would probably would show a different a different mm-hmm. ending. So there's your fun fact for the day. There you go. <laughs> Giving us film facts. Thanks, Debbie. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you in December. You bet. Have a good day, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Sir. Game of Thrones version of Game of Clue if you want to check it out. Um, otherwise, you can go to 64-ounce games for Game of Thrones. Uh, Game of Clue Adaptive Edition. Awesome, folks. Uh, we'll step aside the roundtable with Alex Smythe joining us up next here on Kelly and Company. Isn't it convenient that we have a roundtable? Well, it's actually helpful. Just say it. The blind guy feels it now goes, well, I don't know. I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. And here we go, ladies and gentlemen, as we settle on back for the roundtable. It's always fun to get a, a chance to do different things with the roundtable. And we've been kind of playing around, experimenting, and had some really great conversations. We always love that with it. It's an open conversation. And today, I've handpicked the uh, items to talk about. And uh, just pretty straightforward roundtable for sure. We welcome in. Our guest for today to join Rummy and I, Alex Smythe, of course, AMI-TV reporter over on uh, uh, Now with Day Brown. He's settling in over there. And uh, what the hell else have you been doing these days, Alex? Uh, well, not too much uh, there, Kelly. You know, I just got back from uh, a week of vacation, so absolutely not too much uh, recently. But, uh, yeah, we got a few different things in the works that uh, we're working on with now, so it's uh, a fun new ride. Did you decide to go caving or anything? No, I, I did not. I, I lied on a beach in Aruba with some uh, nice cold drinks on a hot, sandy beach. So that uh, was the extent of uh, my last week. Wow. And the most he did regarding caving is dig a little hole in the sand. Um, yeah. <laughs> kind of curious, Alex. Let's start kind of sharing this conversation. And I know I've had this a bit with Grant as as he adapts as well to working with our team. Um, give us the goods. What are the adapting goods that you've had to kind of start to formulate being part of a live show every day as opposed to researching, taking the, the time, getting things together, booking the guests, and going on maybe a documentary or an AMI This Week shoot or, you know, what. What has it been like with the, I don't want to say change of pace. I don't want to assume anything as to how you guys see it coming from what work you were doing to now mm-hmm. working on the daily grind of the of the live show. Yeah, so it definitely is a change of pace. Uh, I, I think that is accurate just because, you know, having done what I did before in terms of my workflow and everything, I, I was doing things more ahead of schedule. I, I was down the road, I would work on one major project or a couple major projects at a time. But 
in in the live environment as you and and Ramya and everyone are so uh, aware of, it's like you got a daily show you're prepping for. You're you're going out. You're trying to find guests to to fill in certain slots you have on the show. So I I'm still able to lean on my experience of you know chasing down different interviews and and subjects things like that that I can uh, do with the show. And then it's it's being present, being live on air at 9 a.m. in the morning. That was probably the hardest adjustment, I will say. I am not necessarily a morning person. I I enjoyed being able some days to get up at 8.30 in the morning and be ready for work at 9. This time, I, I got to be prepped. I got to have all my scripts ready. I got to be presentable. I'm on camera at 9 a.m., so that's certainly uh, a big change for me. But I'm getting there. I'm, I'm, I'm getting into the flow of things, and... Uh, you know, we have, um, there's always people going away on different vacations. So it's like filling in those roles and those gaps when they're gone on top of your own duties. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's also an exciting, uh, interesting environment to be a part of. I used to get asked that. Why would I ever, when I was wanting radio, when I was a kid, people would say, oh, why do you want to do that? Not TV. And I just, even then, just saw what I considered the excitement of it, the rolling with everything that comes up and happens. And, you know, as as we're starting to plan and everybody's doing so many different things right now, learning new roles and stuff like that as we get ready to go uh, to television ourselves, it, it's fascinating. Ramya, how do you know when to say as you're preparing today's show, uh, but you got attention you got to put on tomorrow's or something else you've got to do jot together promos how do you budget where i don't even want to say budget how do you know when to say i've worked on these promos enough i'll come back to this or and not get yourself so confused Mm, I mean, I guess it's different for everybody, right? For me, what really helps is having a thousand alarms throughout the day. I just lose track of time so much. You knew I was going to say that. Yep. Um, <laughs> and Alex, I don't know if you do this, but it, when there's a lot of different components you have to work on throughout the day, uh, the only way to really manage that time, along with you know showing up for meetings and other things like that that are already scheduled in, you. I can lose track very, very easily. Like I can be working on things for two hours straight and not realize how much time has gone by. So the only way to really make sure that I'm implementing um, some kind of like time management to say, okay, 20 minutes and then I have to move on to this other component or, you know, the one o'clock deadline means that I had to get to this before 1 p.m. or whatever. So anyway, timers and and alarms are my saviors. So, Alex, that snitch John Melville on the last episode of AMI this week uh, cornered you uh, in the in the office, and somebody happened to have a camera. And you guys got in that position of admitting to the fact that you were going to be doing the work on Now at Dave Brown, that you were go- we were going to see you on live uh, covering on the show and things like that. Now that we've let the cat out of the bag about uh, our switch to TV coming in January... What kinds of things can you tell us about what's expected in the near future, what people will be seeing you do? And what for you has, other than the getting up in the morning, uh, obviously covering, knowing other people's jobs on top of yours, but is it the on-air potential, uh, even though you're a TV person and have done TV and it's not new to you, but doing it live? Or or is it that, that grind and just kind of doing everything at once to, to get up to speed? What's been the hardest? You know, the live TV is, is certainly uh, an interesting perspective. And I think for myself, I've always done this, even when I was doing, you know, stuff for ATW or, or for postcards or whatever. I, I mentally had to, like, create in my mind an idea that I'm just looking at this camera. 
no one is watching me do this. No one is actually listening to what I'm saying just so I don't put added stress on myself. I think that is the way that I can manage like this, you know, what could be very overwhelming live environment that, oh, no, I need to be perfect every single sentence, every single word, like every single second, because that that then puts more pressure on you that if you do have a slip up or you do uh, struggle with a word or a sentence or uh, lose a thought, then you're just kind of scrambling and, and you're you're uh, creating more of an issue for yourself. So I always mentally be like, oh, yeah, no, this I'm just talking to my computer webcam right now. There's no uh, nothing to worry about with regards to that. But in terms of what I'm doing and going to be doing more of, but we actually have uh, next week is going to be a great example of it. We're, we're hoping to get more kind of a, a, a blending of what I was able to do with ATW and, and that's get out into the community when possible covering events and and bringing it in the live environment so on monday i'm actually going to be uh providing a a live uh, remote uh, hit from the odin conference in toronto and so i'm going to be there i i'm going to interview a bunch of different people at the event so we're going to be able to share that throughout the week on now with dave brown and we're hoping that you know that goes well and that we can continue to do that going forward because that's one of the great things that this channel and and working on the tv side where we were able to do is we could go and explore these community events talk to experts for the disability community find out what's the latest innovation technology research that's happening and share it with our audience i i always like that aspect so being able to do it for the odin conference next week with now with dave brown and hopefully down the road with other conferences that we have across the country i think it's going to be a really exciting thing that we can include into the programming and not just have it that it, we're talking to an expert over camera, but we can actually be there. We can bring in our, our knowledge expertise in our, our cameras. And have that conversation while you're there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. always key. Awesome. That's amazing. Great. Good luck with it too, because that will be kind of the, the first as you guys are exploring and experimenting and we're, we're really learning and, and, and adapting so many of these things. So that, that is tremendous. Rami, I'm going to start with you on this next one. Remembrance Day is tomorrow. And I'm curious as through life, as we were talking earlier about the Royal Winter Fair and experiences, I want you to think back to school to now. How has your commemoration of Remembrance Day changed for you? What and and how often? Oh, it's changed drastically, Kels. I think one of the big components of being part of school, being part of community where you're there every day, you're preparing for this, you have staff and other like leadership um, to help you commemorate, to help you even understand what to do. Uh, and then going from that to, hey, every year, you have to take it upon yourself. You know, you have to um, understand what it is, maybe come to some personal realizations of why it's important to you and then go out and find the things that communities are are leading and take part that way. So for me, you know, aside from um, just the, the, the uh, on the 11 o'clock hour taking that moment, uh, so much has changed. And I've been able to channel a lot of it into our content here at AMI, um, you know, t understanding and recognizing that we as a media source uh, can create so much of that opportunity for people where they can involve themselves. But it's very, very different from being in school and going and having assemblies and gathering uh, and taking part in choir or other performances uh, and just it, it being in solidarity with so many other people. 
I'm of the age of we were off of school. Um, there was very much uh, uh, that that pause at 11, but the whole day, lots of programming that was on. But you took that day to think, and, and, a, and being a person of color, I've always been reminded of how fortunate I was to be here that these soldiers went over to protect the safety and our, our rights. So I've always been very, very thankful, at least on the busiest day, uh, Remembrance Day, to take the two minutes, to try to wear the poppies as much as I can uh, for the buildup and, and to thank in in my own way. Have I seen it really change? I think losing that day where we're off work uh, or, or weren't going to school because of it and now things are now a, a little different. I think we're really trying to come back with it um, and, and certainly not forget, especially as we have less and less soldiers who are alive today to share the stories, to tell us stuff. So I do feel I've seen the change, but for me, I've been able to keep it that time I have always given on that day, um, I've, I've always been able to do so. And I keep the same, what I consider reasons for me that I'm so thankful of what these these guys did, um, men and, and women alike, to preserve our, our freedoms. Alex, for you, have you seen it change? And are you one of those people that kind of feels a bit, what are we doing not having more time off, more events to, to honor these people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'm certainly of the mind that we, we have the day to commemorate, you know, the sacrifices that these brave men and women have, have made for, for us and our country for, you know, uh, for since the Confederation. And it's like we already have some provinces that make it a full-fledged day that you have it off, you can reflect, you can... Uh, commemorate and celebrate it in the way that you you see, uh, deem fit, and I I agree with Ramya because that was how I was kind of raised. With you had the school assemblies, you know, you had. Uh, I remember in high school, uh, it would be every time they would bring in a a bugle player at uh, for uh, for the ceremony, and and it was always very touching. But as soon as you you leave that structured environment, it it now falls upon you to find a way to celebrate, to commemorate. And I always try to when I can. It's It can be difficult just depending on, you know, what your circumstances, if you're working and things like that, especially if you don't have the opportunity to uh, take those that time and, and reflect. So I, I would definitely be in favor to have the day that we can take the time, commemorate, celebrate it in, in our own way. And there's so many different ways that you can do that and so many different oh, yes. ceremonies that you can go to. And each one is unique and different because anytime I think of Remembrance Day now, I was very fortunate uh, a few years ago to go and visit Juno Beach. And that was just something that was wow. very powerful. And I I wish I had more time to spend there. But every single time I think of Remembrance Day now, I think of Juno Beach. I, I think of the the markers there that commemorated the soldiers who, who died on that beach. And it always kind of sticks with me. And it's like, okay, I need to reflect. I need to remember why they were there. Mm-hmm. I remember that as a child, seeing the crosses um, on TV when uh, you know they read the poem, and yeah, it, it, with my vision where it is now, that is one of the things that I think of remembrance, and I always think of the vast shot, and I think at that age of four or five years old, how much I realized, oh my goodness, these are people's graves, mm-hmm. so far mm-hmm. from home. Yeah. Um, a Western Michigan library. Uh, is feeling some heat from residents. 
Library in Jamestown Township outside Grand Rapids has LGBTQ materials on its shelves. Some residents are opposed to that, and the library has lost most of its funding with the latest rejection of the renewal of a property tax millage that was defeated as part of Tuesday's general election. And now the library will lose 84% of its $245,000 budget. A conservative Christian group called Jamestown Conservatives urged residents to vote no on the millage, citing concerns the library was grooming children with books containing explicit material and LGBTQ themes. Todd Ant, ABC News. So we talk about banned books, Ramya. We've talked about it um, on this program and, you know, some people's, we all have our viewpoints. Here, when I hear something like this, again, being low vision, it's not like I run around in the public library checking out what I've got on the shelves that I could pick from. I know there's stories of all kinds, um, fiction, nonfiction, so on. But I always thought that to check something out, there was obviously like movies, like shows, a rating system. So if you're too young, you're you're not checking that book out. Um, that there's, you know, walking through to see what people are doing, whether they're harming books or not. I'm not sure I'm correct here um, because I understand some people may disagree with some of the content in a public library. But I guess my view is, yeah, but if you're younger and there's certain things you're not to be seeing, you shouldn't be seeing them even in the public library, just like a theater. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's a bit different from saying something like uh, you can't be watching movies that are, you know, PG-13 or rated R or whatever if you're a kid, right? With books, I mean, yes, you're right. Like there could be some content that you're like, no, this is you're, – you're too young for this content, et cetera, et cetera. But from this clip, like just hearing why uh, these books are being banned or censored from these libraries – feels wrong it feels absolutely wrong it feels like people are just injecting their own opinions of what's right and what's wrong in the world and then saying yeah because of this we can't be teaching lgbtq plus uh perspective um to our kids what the hell's going on here like (laughs) when did we start doing this all over again it's you know 2022 this is what we're supposed to be teaching our kids the exposure is what we're relaying to the younger people Yeah, I have trouble, Alex, when we let kids watch things because we're not keeping track. That is really, and again, I'm not going to tell somebody they should or shouldn't let their child watch what they want if you're going to sit there with them and explain things. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? The context is always important, and that's uh, there is a value that having rating systems on on certain subject matters uh, to to ensure that it's like okay, when you are consuming this this media, whatever it is, mm-hmm. there is uh, you're you're at a point where you can get some of the context from it. I I agree with Ramya though. With in terms of this clip, this seems that it's more than just this is a rating system. This is all well, you know, they're too young for that. This is part of a uh, a broader social uh, conversation of trying to censor content that certain people do not like or do not think other sh- people should have access mm-hmm. to. That is a very Absolute different conversation. And and the, the best part is that we know censorship does not work, especially in a Western democracy. People are going to find the content. And if you say you can't view this or you can't read this, it's going to make people who otherwise didn't really may not have cared about the content they're going to seek it out they're going to want to see it now because it's this is causing controversy well screw you i'm i'm not going to let you dictate what i can and can't read mm-hmm. i'm going to go and seek it out and i'm going to to read it as a result but the thing is too there's 
there's plenty of different content that's appropriate for all ages that cover these type of LGBTQ stories. Uh, there's one that uh, I remember uh, having to to cover when I took a children's literature class called Entangle Makes Three. It's a beautiful story about uh, uh, a penguin couple raising raising a child, and it, it's done in a, a manner that is under, uh, for children to understand, but it is an LGBTQ story, and some people don't appreciate that just because of what they perceive the message to be sending, where the actual message is everyone can be a loving uh, parent and you can create a family regardless of what your situation is. Alex, always wonderful for the contribution to the roundtable. Thank you, sir. We'll have you back on soon. Good luck with everything going forward, and we'll look for you on AMI-tv on Now with Dave Brown. We'll step aside, folks. We'll be back with more in a moment. Busy day on the program, folks. Thanks for being with us wherever you're listening in. And we remind you, check things out via the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe, listen to the complete show with the audio vanity card tacked onto it, or simply listen to your favorite segments from Kelly and Company using your favorite podcatcher. Subscribe now. And while you're in there, if you don't mind, give us a rating and review. In review of the program, Ramya, what segments would you like to suggest people may take a check out? Well, if you want to reminisce on the Royal Agricultural Winter Fair, you can listen back to our gardening segment with Susan Kearney. She talked through all the different things she did uh, going on this or going and visiting this year, and it was just lovely to hear it. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, It brought back memories for me, but I I had to stop and think, when did I actually go as a child? And I remember, as I said, uh, being teased about going at the blind school, but I don't ever recall us necessarily, necessarily going, but... Having the privilege of being at a different uh, fairs as a child, uh, Simcoe and the London and Ontario's uh, Western Fair, had a really great time checking things out. Rum, tell us what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Okay, real quick, the Friday edition of Now with Dave Brown, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. They have the weekly news panel with Joita Gupta and uh, Michelle McQuig. They're discussing a bunch of things, including Netflix, The Crown. Cruelly unjust for leaving off accuracy and fictional disclaimers, says Judy Dench. And the actor is accusing uh, program makers of blurring the lines between historical accuracy and crude sensationalism. We talked about this a bit. I'm really curious about it. They are going to step away at 10 a.m. Eastern time because there's a simulcast, um, described simulcast of CBC's Remembrance Day ceremony. And, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for us. Ramya, thank you kindly and uh, for reading that. Dan Panamondo, he's been teching the show this week. A big thank you to Dan. Margaret Weldon will be in tomorrow with Ramya, and she's also going to be responsible for bringing us the lifestyle headlines as Grant will be away. Zoom is adding email and calendar features to take on other workspace platforms. We'll learn more with John Beeler on the show. Also, traveling on Vancouver Island has become more accessible and inclusive with the introduction of travel guides. So we forget. She has that information. We'll fill us in. Shaq's back for the Friday Buzz with Bill. Ryan Huey, he's got an interesting uh, treat for us. A meet and greet that he was involved with, with seven-time Stanley Cup winner Brian Trottier at the Calgary Public Library. We'll get the conversation recaps, folks, and comment on segments from the past week here on Kelly and Company. That's our Cut for Time segment. Take care of yourself, ladies and gentlemen. Have a wonderful night. Be safe. Fedora's off to you. Enjoy.
I think I've shared very openly that one of the most amazing and exciting things for me when I was working TV was going to Blue Jays spring training. Being a fan of baseball and have since I was a child, uh, I, it w- that was the dream. And I got to hang out with a bunch of the media people. Well, I got to say, fedora's off to my friend Bob Elliott, uh, who at the time was working for The Sun, and really spent time just chatting with me, laughing, talking about baseball, just talking about the environment. And I really had a good opportunity to get to know Bob over the time I was there and subsequently utilized him for other projects when we went to Montreal to cover the Blue Jays there playing at the old Olympic Stadium. Uh, and it was it was just great. The interaction, and I know you've heard me talk about being mentored by Jerry Howarth, the uh, retired Blue Jay broadcaster for the radio side. And these for me, and I know some people say, yeah, but you don't really talk sports. You don't do any of that. Well, I'm not a writer. You know, Bob did so much writing um, and was out there as a figure in Toronto uh, and, of course, really linked to sport and still is. And you can find him on, on Twitter. But it was always just wonderful to get a chance to chat, whether it was just a quick email. And we still do this today and and check in, of course. One of the things, and at this time, they call, have on what's called the winter meetings for baseball. They're in Vegas, and this is where the general managers get together and their support teams and visit with each team. And sometimes trades happen at this time. There's a lot of talk, a lot of buzz about what possibilities can come in the off season. One of the coolest things was when Bob was at one of them, we were emailing back and forth while he was there. And for me, watching it on TV on the MLB network and actually emailing with someone there. And, and of course, like I say, if you're involved in it deeply in baseball and you're a sports person uh, doing that as part of your job, well, of course, you're going to have all sorts of connections. But him and I, and he still had the time for the odd message to go back and forth and let me know on some of the things going on. Boy, was it a blast. It really was. And that's, again, one of those fond memories that I sit back because you'll hear me say, eh, not a big TV guy. Yeah, but you and Rummy are going to TV soon. But those are some of my most fond memories of TV. And when I say about TV and all the stuff that comes with it, that's one of the beautiful perks, the contacts and the, the the mentors I've been able to have were just that little bit of time. They lent me their ear. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.